Mac Power Users, episode 449, Mac OS Mojave. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Great. Uh, we've got a new operating system for the Mac, and today we're going to focus on that, talking about what's new, uh, what's changed, what we'd like to see get better. There's actually quite a bit to cover with the Mac. I'm assuming as a native Californian that that is the proper pronunciation is Mojave. Yeah, that's that's how I learned. I used to go camping in the Mojave Desert when I was a kid. That's how we were always told the name. I, I mean, I guess I, I think it's an Indian name, Native American name. And um, I I think that's how it was originally pronounced. But, yeah, growing up in California, we always called it the Mojave Desert. So it's 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 really hot there. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's funny because people who come to California, I always tell them the one thing you do is you go to Yosemite. It's just the most beautiful thing ever. But I've never really recommended anybody go to the Mojave Desert. But, you know. To each his own. Apparently, Apple's people did. Yeah. All right. Um, the uh, We have, like I said, we have a lot to talk about with macOS Mojave. A few announcements. First, uh, thank As always, we have you have uh, a few announcements. You're, you're very busy now these days. Well, you know, I'm really trying to make this work. You know, I uh, I really like making this stuff. I, I do need to make some income off of it if I'm not going to, you know, I'm turning down legal work to do this stuff. So uh, I just want to thank everybody for the series shortcuts uh, support. A bunch of you signed up for the course. I'm seeing a bunch of Mac Power Users listeners coming into the learn.macsparky site and Lots of great feedback on the Series Shortcuts course. A couple uh, bits of feedback on that, though. Just the easiest way to get it across is on the show, because so many of you just listen to the show, is, uh, yes, I do will be updating your other courses. Like if you bought Hazel on Vimeo or 60 Mac Tips 1 and 2 or the photos, those are the, th- the four that have come over so far. Um, just send me a note with a receipt or something to show me that you bought it, and I'll get you a code at the new site. Just give me a little time. I'm getting like hammered with these things, and I, I got I to gotta work, too. Uh, but I'll get you caught up. So that's point number one. Point number two is, yes, I will be updating the Siri Shortcut course. I'm already outlining some updates because now that all the apps are out, there's some more stuff I can add to the course. Um, second point, I, I did publish, I'm trying to do more video stuff. I published a video review of the draft table and I'd like you to go watch it if you can. I think it came out kind of good. And the third point is I want to just talk about Josiah um, um you know, Stephen Hackett, our friend on Relay, has a son who's been battling back against cancer his whole life. And every year in September, uh, Stephen does a fundraiser. And this year he's trying to raise $20,000 to um, to help, uh, you know, St. Jude, which has, you know, given him probably millions of dollars worth of, of medical care for Josiah over the years. So uh, I, I contributed. I think Katie did as well. Um I would recommend you do it as well if you have time. Stephen is closing in on his $20,000 goal for St. Jude. You can write it off your taxes. It's uh, It'll make you feel good. We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. So please go over there and uh, show some Mac Power user love for Josiah and St. Jude. So um, I know that Apple Order Day has come and gone. 
I slept right through it, I must say. I did not order anything. Yeah, it, it, just a, a point on that, gang. It was funny because Katie was like all in with the watch when we started recording that show. And if you listen to the show, you can just hear her talk herself out of the watch. Uh, yes, <laughs> you can hear that transition happen. <laughs> I, I just I just spent uh, a few minutes ago, I just wrote a check for what I would have written, uh, likely for the watch. I, I had some electricians doing some work at, at my house. I now have floodlights, which is nice. Um, but, but there went my Apple Watch. Well, I I, uh, I did find a buyer for my Apple Watch, so uh, I I'm replacing it with the fancy new one. Of course, that's costing me some money. I'm not getting enough to pay for the new one, but hey, I'm taking one for the team. I can talk about it on the show. All right, what'd you buy? Uh, I just got the 44 uh, uh, Apple Watch, the 44 millimeter. So you went big. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the fact is, I'm heavily invested in the in the pants. I and fifty uh, year old eyes like to see bigger techs, so that's all good. I I don't think I'll have any problem with the big watch. And did you get um, aluminum, space gray, gold? What 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 did you get? Stainless steel. I went in for stainless again. I know that I shouldn't because I keep buying them, I keep replacing them, but I love the stainless so much. You totally should go with stainless steel. I love stainless steel. I will tell you that my uh, my year old stainless steel watch retained a lot of resale value because it's stainless. Uh, so for whatever, uh, the, the other thing I bought was the big gigantic phone and, uh, I, that will show up just a day or two after we record the show. So I'll, I'll have some feedback on that next week on the MPU plus show. I'm really looking forward to having a big screen phone again. I, I think at the end of the show last week, Katie really nailed it when she said, well, if, if it wasn't going from small to big screen, would you do it? I'm not sure I would because it's almost like the price of a Mac to buy one of these phones. Um, in fact, it's more than the price of some Macs. Um, but I, uh, I really am looking forward to having a big screen again. All right. Well, we got lots to talk about next week on MPU Plus, but that's not what we're here for today. Uh, well, actually, on the whole product thing, just a couple things. Uh, I thought more, it was interesting. Yeah, always more. Go ahead. Yeah, well, just a little bit. The uh, I, I thought it was interesting, the reviews coming in. There's a bunch of people who are super jacked up about the camera and the new one and a, a couple of the features and a bunch of people saying, you know, uh, meh, you know, the same thing Katie said. Ah, it's not enough for me to want to upgrade. So it's interesting uh, that the two positions we took last week are pretty much reflected in the reviews. And uh, we got some email and there's some talk on the uh, talk.macpowerusers.com forum about iPads. I mean, that's the worst kept secret. I mean, we knew we were getting them when they added iPad, you know, the new kind of user interface stuff to iOS 12 and the betas. Now they're even mentioning the new iPads in the uh, the beta software for 12.1 that's now out. They just don't even care anymore. Yeah, it's like I've never seen Apple like be so uncaring about keeping a product secret as they are with these iPads. So if you're excited about iPads, my guess is next month you'll be able to get one. So, all right, uh, back to Mojave. Back to Mojave. So a couple of uh, basic things that we know about Mojave. We know that it is going to be released on September 24th. It's going to be available as a free update on the Mac App Store. No, no more uh, plastic discs that you can spin about. It's only going to be downloadable on the Mac App Store. It's been that way for quite some time now. It is going to be compatible with a slightly smaller set of Macs than was compatible with High Sierra. Uh, if you have a MacBook, it's going to be the early 2015, which I think is is the only MacBook. It's not going to work with any of the old MacBooks um, or newer. It's going to be uh, compatible with the mid-2012 MacBook Air or newer the mid-2012 MacBook Pro or newer, the late-2012 Mac Mini or newer, also the late-2012 iMac or newer, 
the 2017 iMac Pro. So, of course, the iMac Pros are going to work. And then if you have a Mac Pro, um, it will work with the late 2013 version and higher, but it will also work with a couple of mid-2010 and 2012 models, depending on if you have a metal-capable GPU. So Apple's got the specs on their website. So the vast majority of users have MacBooks or in the, in some flavor, you know, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, whatever. And so we're going back six years with that. Is that enough? Um, it probably is. Uh, I will tell you, my old old Mac Mini um, has has long fall has fallen off. I. But I, I don't, I'm just waiting for that machine to die. That's I don't even know what I really do with that machine anymore. It kind of sits in a, a closet and, and runs some Hazel rules for me. I have a newer Mac Mini that I I think will run um, Mojave, but I'm not planning on on upgrading that machine because there are a few things I do with that machine that um, I I don't know that uh, it will work with Mojave. But I I think it I think it probably is. I think there's some I, I know some older machines in my family that won't won't work. I know we've got a couple of, I think our oldest, I think we've got a 2007 iMac that is, is still kicking around uh, that I think is my grandmother's machine that is, is still going strong. And uh, I think we've got some older MacBook Pros that we've, you know, put SSDs and put memory in that are, that are still churning around. But um, so those, I, those I think are going to be stuck on Sierra for now. What, what are you using your second Mac mini for the newer one? Um, well, I, um, I'm using it at my office. All right. So using it for work. I didn't realize it. I, you know, I'm not totally convinced. Everybody's excited about the idea of a new Mac mini. There's, there's a bunch of rumors circulating around that a new Mac mini is coming possibly when we get the iPad event. And I've, a lot of my geek friends are saying, oh, I can't wait to get my new Mac mini so I can use it as my home server. And I understand. I, I'm not trying to take away from your enthusiasm. Listen, I I'm as big a geek as anybody, but just I just don't know what that means anymore. I mean, so, uh, these with the Mac, you know, the iMac. So I guess I guess if you have a computer, you can keep open. You don't need it, but if you're using a laptop, it can make sense. But I, I'm just not that excited about a Mac Mini. No, I I have a Mac Mini that I I keep at home um, to. That I say just to run things in the background. I haven't had to really use it for that in a long time. Those types of tasks that I was using that Mac Mini for have all been taken over by my Synology. Um, running, you know, media servers or um, automatically downloading things in the background or just having a big old bucket of storage connected to some hard drives. Th those types of things have all been taken over by my Synology. And at the point in time that that ancient Mac Mini that I have sitting in my closet dies it it won't be replaced. I don't need it anymore. Well, before we get into the details of Mojave, let's just talk generally about the state of the Mac, because in the outline it says Katie has complaints. Because <laughs> Katie has some complaints, yes. Oh, uh, that's right. I left the word some out, sorry. Yes, I have a few complaints. Um, some of my complaints, I, I think, are probably hardware-related. Some of them have been software-related. I will tell you that High Sierra has not been a fun experience for me. And um, part of that may be because of the machine, this um, you know 2016 MacBook Pro that I'm running it on. I've, I've never been particularly happy with. I have been running the Mojave Beta, and I will tell you that since I've been doing that, things have been better, but they have not been uh, solved. You know, David, I know that... I've been expressing my frustration with you because I've been going through literally months 
um, where if I leave my Mac on overnight, there's probably a 75% or better chance that it will not be on when I get up in the morning. Um, because it, something has happened and I come back and it says, your Mac is unexpectedly shut down. I'm like, hmm, that, that's great. How often? How often? 75% or better chance, I would tell you. That is crazy. Crazy. Yep. I think it's a hardware thing. I think you got a hardware problem. It could be. Well, has that I, happened with Mojave? I think it has happened once with Mojave. Now, I have not been running the Mojave beta as, as long, but it, it's definitely happened at, at least once, but that could also be related to something else. I will tell you it is. it definitely appears to be a... Um, uh, a Thunderbolt related thing. I've also had circumstances where this Mac will not turn on if it's plugged into Thunderbolt. And then as soon as I unplug Thunderbolt accessories, it will, um, it, it will then turn on again. There, there's definitely wonkiness uh, related to this particular Mac and, and Thunderbolt, which feels kind of hardware related, but the fact that it hasn't happened nearly as frequently since I upgraded to Mojave could mean that it was software related. I will just tell you that I think Apple has been, although this is supposed to be all about under the hood improvements and those types of things, I've not been really impressed with the quality control coming out on the Mac lately, both from a hardware and a, a software perspective. Yeah, I, that's unacceptable. I mean, just I mean, it shouldn't happen really once. I I had that iMac whenever the first Retina iMac was released. So I think I had that machine like four years, and then I got a new one this year. I cannot recall a single kernel panic with either machine ever or coming to it and saying it's shut down while you're away. I don't think that's ever happened to me. Every time I complain to David about this in, in text, he just sends me a link with the buy.apple.com slash iMac page. Yeah, I, I honestly think Katie needs an iMac. You know, if you guys want to join in with me on this, you should. Because I'm listening to what she's doing these days. I think she could get by with an iPad and just get an iMac and be done with it. That's that's definitely going to be the next thing I do. It's just hard to justify when I have a very expensive, um, fairly new MacBook Pro here that, you know, should, for all intents and purposes, do everything I want it to do and more. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. Um, okay, so I, I'm with you on that. Um, I One of the things that occurs to me is why are we getting a yearly Mac OS update? And I, both of us have banged the drum on this on this show before, but I'll, I'll never forget having a, a sitting down with an Apple person at, at the WWDC a few years ago and talking about the release schedule. And the person was saying, you know, the trouble is, you know, this is, this is basically how it works. When they release a new operating system, like Mac OS Mojave is coming out the day after this show publishes. They're, the team that's responsible for the Mac OS is going to spend at least six to eight weeks, you know, buttoning up the point one release to that. You know, they've been, they're in it deep. They got to make sure everything's working. They want to get the point one release done. So, you know, there's always a few issues with the new release. So there goes, you know, one to two months. Then they have to spend some time figuring out what are we adding to the next one? You know, what's coming out next year? And they have, you know, I don't know how much time they spend on that, but then they essentially have somewhere between two and four months to figure that out and do the the coding of that. And then we get to WWDC in June. I mean, it's not that far away, you know, and they've got it kind of finalized. And then they spend the last two or three months polishing that so it's ready for the next release. But the actual time they have to work on adding new big features is not a year. It's some. It's more in the tune of like four months. 
And whereas if you did it a release schedule on a two-year cycle, you wouldn't have to do that point one update. You wouldn't have to do the prep for WWDC. Uh, so you would instead instead of having like four months to work on new um, features, you'd have something more like sixteen months, and it, it's just a massive improvement when you get off the the year treadmill. And I understand for the iPhone for iOS, you almost need you almost need a yearly release because just it's such a growing and bursting market. You know, if you didn't release a new operating system every year, Google would have your lunch. But I'm not sure they need that for the Mac. Especially because uh, the comparatively, the Mac is such a small part of their profit center and such a small part of um, you know their unit sales compared to to iOS. I don't think the market's going to kill them if they don't release a new Mac update. I, I don't think people are waiting for bated breath. I can't buy a new Mac until the new operating system updates come out. I mean, the operating system updates are free now. It's certainly not a, a fiscal issue. Well, and when you think about it, that's not saying they would stop work on it. It would just mean that they had more point updates. You know, you had two years of point updates. Just think how many bugs you could iron out uh, because now you have to immediately jump on the treadmill for the new feature. So the marketing team has something to talk about next year. Whereas if we just had time to just like keep making it better. And at the end of the show, Katie and I have a list of things we'd like to see get better on the Mac. And and I'll tell you, it's it's not a secret that one of them is We'd like it to get easier, you know, and that means less bugs. That means waking up and not having your machine having rebooted 75% of the time. No, it doesn't reboot. It just turns, it just crashes and then it turns itself off. Well, that, which one's better, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, so. no, if it at least rebooted, it would be back on for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just, um, you know, I, I, I think I would like to see Apple and, you know, obviously I'm not in charge, but if I were, I would say, guys, Give me a really good reason why we have to keep on this yearly cycle for the Mac. You know, I don't, I don't think people care. And um, so that, that, that being said, we are on another yearly cycle and Apple has got its marketing features. And I, I don't want to belittle. It's not just marketing features. They've made changes to the operating system. Some of them uh, change the experience and maybe make it better for you. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Molecule. I'm sure you've spent a lot of effort into making your home comfortable, welcoming, and maybe even smart. But have you ever thought about air pollutants in your home? Because without them, you may sleep better, feel better, and even live better. Molecule is the only air purifier that actually destroys pollutants. Let me tell you why that's important. More than 80% of the people living in urban areas that monitor pollution are exposed to air quality that doesn't meet recommendations set by the World Health Organization. Worst news is that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air. And if you hear this and think, well, I'd like cleaner air, then maybe you need a molecule. Molecule features breakthrough technology that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. And their many, many happy customers are reaping the benefits, with some people saying they're able to breathe through their noses for the first time in years. Molecule has a clean design with high-quality experience, but more importantly, it's been tested by real people. They've recently helped some allergy and asthma sufferers cope with their conditions. The Molecule air purifier is whisper-quiet, energy-efficient, made for rooms of all sizes, and it's portable so you can move it around, and connected. You can control the Molecule using its touchscreen display or remotely using your iPhone or Android app. You need to go back and look at the Molecule Air Purifier to see what it can do and see how sleek looking this thing is. 
Head to Molecule.com. That's Molecule with a K. M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com to take a look around and make your first order using the code MPU for $75 off. That's right. You get $75 off with the code MPU. Our thanks to Molecule for their support of this show and Relay FM. So let's talk about actually what has changed with Mac OS Mojave. I, I feel bad. I feel like we spent the first 20 minutes of the show um, uh, talking bad about the Mac, but let's talk about what new things have come with Mojave. One of the big premier features of Mojave is dark mode uh, and some of the stylistic changes with Mojave. Um, what do you think about dark mode? Because I said we weren't going to spend the first couple of minutes talking negatively about it. So you should go first. <laughs> okay. I will go first. I like dark mode. I think it's cool. The, um, I, you know, so the way it works is you go up to, to the appearance settings and you don't just get dark mode. Now you also get a highlight color in Mac OS, um, which is kind of fun. You can change, you know, what, what is the color that it uses for highlighting and other, uh, OS features. I, I chose orange, by the way, I think it looks cool. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but so you turn it on and it, you know, they had this, this like halfway dark mode for the longest time where it turned your menu bar dark and, the reason they did that was because all the pro apps, you know, if you use Final Cut or Logic, you know, a lot of the pro themed apps are basically written in dark mode. You know, they don't have a light mode. And if you're working in a darkened studio, it, it makes it easier to work. So uh, Apple years ago came up with this kind of half fix to give you a dark menu bar. But this time they went all in. Uh, it's dark mode throughout the operating system. Um, it. I think it looks nice. The contrast is right. I mean, it's easy to make it just black text. And, I'm sorry, white text on black background, but it's not that. It's more of a gradient and different apps in, um, implement it differently. Like I think the calendar app did a really good job with the dark mode because it makes the um, the calendar blocks semi-transparent. So you still get the dark, the effect of the dark mode. And they changed the colors, like the orange in the dark mode calendar is not the same orange that you get in the light mode calendar. And I really like the way that the Apple applications automatically switch. So if you put on dark mode, it's not just going to make the user interface dark for uh, working in the operating system. But when you open mail and calendars and Safari and the, the general apps that that Apple makes, they automatically get this dark mode update. Um, that's... Uh, and I think it's nice. I mean, I, I sometimes work into the evening and I find switching over to dark mode is kind of nice. I'm not using it a hundred percent of the time. Uh, but I, I think it's a, it's a good additional feature. Um, Katie, <laughs> I mean, I have some, I have some issues with it. I'll talk about them later, but let's, I'd like to get your take first. I, I will tell you that I am not thrilled with, with dark mode. And I think this will be something that gets better as it can become more universally adopted by various app developers and by various websites. I struggled with dark mode because the way that it's implemented, particularly in the beta process, is not everything supports dark mode. So it's a little jumbled right now. Well, yeah, I, I, that, that, that's one of my complaints is when you turn on dark mode, the Apple applications switch over fine, right? I mean, they're great, you know. Uh, I use dark mode and Apple Calendar looks good. But if I open Fantastical, it's like this big white thing on the screen. And the way I use Fantastical is kind of crazy. I put the two weeks up, the two-week view, and I fill the whole 27-inch monitor with it. So 
forget about dark mode at that point. Or, you know, the other problem is the web. You know, you go on the web and everything, you know, most design, most, I mean, my own website is a white background. It doesn't, it's not going to look good in dark mode. Uh, so I hope that at least on the app level that applications can throw a switch, you know, that does a, um, a dark mode transition automatically. Once you throw the switch for dark mode, you get it everywhere. Uh, a, an app I'm in all constantly is timing. You know, I'm, I use that timing app and uh, he just released an update and it's got dark mode now, but in order for dark mode to work, the, um, you know, you got to switch it. You know, I, I would prefer that all that stuff happen automatically, just like it happens with the native Apple apps. And I think like anything, it will, will take time. Um, my big frustration with dark mode is I, I did not like dark mode at all in Safari. And I found a couple of things difficult to navigate. I found, Number one, I kept thinking that I was in private browsing mode because that's kind of what private browsing mode, I think, especially on the iPad, looks like, um, is it's that that dark um, background. And um, I was a little just off-put by that. I found that it was hard also when you had multiple windows stacked on top of each other when you were dragging windows around to differentiate the borders of when one window started and when another window ended. So I was having trouble saying, all right, am I grabbing my web window now or am I grabbing the window behind it? It was just hard to tell. Uh, maybe th there just wasn't as much translucency. There wasn't as much depth, I think, when you were when you're viewing things in dark mode. So I, I, I thought that it it wasn't as user-friendly of, of a system to be able to uh, differentiate between the different apps that you were using. And then the big downside, obviously, was anytime you were browsing the web, this, the web is still very light. Um, I think we will see uh, websites start to build in support for dark mode, but it, it, I don't think it's going to happen a lot or anytime soon. I saw that there are some themes that can help create dark modes, and there's going to be some CSS uh, scripting done for, for dark modes where you can build a dark mode theme for your site and a light mode theme for your site. But, you know, keep in mind, the Mac share is still pretty small, and the share of Macs who are going to be running Mojave is going to be pretty minuscule. Why, why are people going to waste their time developing for this at this point? Yeah. Is, is there a hook that a website can look at to say this user is on macOS Mojave running dark mode? I, I don't know. Uh, and maybe we'll hear about that before next week's MPU Plus. But um, I would imagine that was possible, and that would be cool if the websites would automatically adjust. The reason I think people should start thinking about this is I think it's only a question of time before this gets to iOS, and there's a lot of people using iOS. Um, so, in fact, I was a little shocked that it landed on Mac before it landed on iOS. But I, I think that iOS at some point is going to get another like iOS 7 type redesign, and it's going to have a dark mode. Uh, now, I think the interesting thing about dark mode is if you just want to use dark mode, you're going to like this. And if you get everything set up the way you want it, you know, you've got your timing app running in dark mode and you've got your, your setup, you know, you've got your screen, your desktop picture. That's another issue. Your dark mode with a light desktop picture looks pretty weird. Um, but if you just wanted to say, no, I really like dark mode. I want to run it all the time. Uh, you're going to be pretty happy with this. But if you want to switch, like I like to switch, uh, you know, my mind might change, you know, maybe I feel today I'm on the light side. Right. But the, uh, you know, there's overhead to switching. In fact, I think I'm going to write a keyboard maestro script for that. Now that I think about it, I could probably script all of my switching my apps with a keyboard maestro script. Yeah, I, it, to me, it's not even worth using that that bandwidth to do because it's it's just 
you know, it's it's just sugarcoating something. You know, I, I, I don't need it. It's not productive. It's just... But isn't that what the user interface always is, really? I mean... Yes and no. I mean, yes, the user interface is, is pretty. It is, but it's also functional. And and to me, dark mode is less functional. But I, for some other people, it may not be. Um, speaking of, of which, you know, you mentioned that the desktop background that you use, partic- a lot of us use our own photos as desktop backgrounds. Apple has built in some of their own desktop backgrounds specifically for use with dark mode. They've also created this um, appearance profile called Dynamic Desktop, which I think would be interesting to see if this is something that, that third-party developers can can hook into it's a desktop that will, they've got a couple of scenes that will transition from like a morning, noon to night scene as your, your day goes by, which is, it's pretty, it's, it's cool. I, I don't know that it's very productive and it may not be applicable. I, w- I would imagine that a very large percentage of users immediately change their desktop. I think most computer users that I know, even if they're fairly novice computer users, have got a, a photo of their family or something or something on their desktop, their dog, their kid, their family vacation, something like that. Yeah. I think there's a room for delight with this interface stuff. And I think they're, they're aiming for that, but I agree with you that just having one or two of these dynamic desktops isn't enough. I mean, there needs to be 20 of them and if they could make two, why couldn't they make 20? <laughs> or, or perhaps a way to make your own. Agreed. Agreed. What do you have on your desktop, Katie? I don't think I've ever asked that. What is your desktop picture? I have a wrote my desktop photo rotates from about a dozen various photos that I've I've taken. Most of them are um of various landscapes, mostly from vacation various vacations that I've taken. So I've got some of the Grand Canyon, um I've got some of um, Moab, Utah. I've got some of Alaska. I've got some of tulips. So a lot of them are uh, landscapes that that I have taken from places that I've been on vacation. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to go off brand with this one because my desktop is super boring. It's just it's dark gray. I always uh, I've always just kept it dark gray. And it, it to me, <laughs> I don't want to look at a picture on my desktop, so I don't bother. Okay. Um, well, that's it. So we got this uh, dark mode. Katie's not a fan. I am, but it's hard for me to use as someone who switches between them. If you're super into dark mode, let us know. We're going to record an MPU Plus episode next week. Let's talk about some of the changes that they've actually made um, in the Finder, because I think that's where we're going to see some more of our productivity changes. Yeah, okay. That might be useful to Mac Power users. Um, so there are two types of people, I think, in this world. Um, those of us who have nice, clean desktops and don't keep a lot of clutter. And then there are those people who are just wrong. <laughs> Katie. <laughs> no? Am I going to get so much feedback for this episode? No. I, I don't really think so with our audience, to yeah, tell no. you the truth. <laughs> The uh, the 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 quasi Hazel Sherlock is what I call call what they've done. Yeah. No, it, it, nothing is going to Sherlock Hazel. It's fine. But um, Apple has created a feature called Stacks, which is designed to help the people who are in that latter category uh, organize their desktop a little bit, and it will help organize some of the the mess and the jumble um, into piles. I guess you know if you've got it's not disorganized chaos. It's just you've got piles of stuff places. And it's fine. You know what's in the piles. But I don't know that this helps because you don't know what's in the piles because your computer has organized it for you. So I guess if you're the kind of person who keeps stuff strewn all across your desktop, you probably know where that stuff is. But 
now this isn't going to help because your Mac's just moved it all into piles for you. I, I, I would disagree. I, I think it's not that hard. They, they, they move it into piles that are categorized for you. It's, you know, the first dimension of Hazel use, you know, the first thing you can do with Hazel is you can organize stuff on your desktop. Uh, the difference is with Hazel's, you don't, you can put it anywhere in your computer. All this Stacks is doing is taking all the stuff in your desktop and putting it into Stacks on your desktop. And like the, all the pictures go in one called images. And because it's made by Apple, they can do some interface stuff. Like the, it's not a folder that says images on it. It's actually a stack with a, a icon of an image on the top. So you see it visually and you see it with words. It's not going to be hard to find your stuff if you let Stacks do its thing. So I, I think it's a good idea. And not necessarily everybody that listens to Mac Power users keeps a lot of stuff on their desktop, although I bet there are some that do, even though Katie apparently thinks, uh, what is it? <laughs> yeah. That you're wrong. Uh, yeah, that you're wrong. Um, the, uh, but the, uh, but the, I think a lot of users do it. I mean, I, I know, speaking personally, that, you know, I told the story on the show once. I won't tell again. My wife woke me up in the middle of the night. I thought the house was on fire. And I had just, it's just that I had put her desktop documents into folders. Uh, I think it's a good feature. I, I, I don't know that MPU listeners need this, but I think a lot of Mac users do. Did you try it? Well, no, I can't try it. It doesn't work for me because there's nothing on my desktop. Uh, of course not. <laughs> We didn't just like leave some stuff on your desktop. No, <laughs> she's outraged. Did you hear that in her voice? <laughs> do you do you keep stuff on your desktop like when you're working on it, like like as a temporary space? No, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I gotta. I, I I'm sorry. I gotta go into this for a minute. Yeah. So like, if you're working on a big project and you've got some research PDFs or something. You don't like keep those on the desktop temporarily, or maybe you're making a keynote and you've got a bunch of clip art that you want to put in the keynote. You don't do any of that stuff. As soon as it goes in the keynote, then the clip art goes in the trash. Like a, like a, like a, like a screenshot will stay on my desktop until it goes where it's supposed to go. And then it goes in the trash. But the, do you ever like, okay. For, Cause screenshots by default save your desktop, but let's say right. you've got some stock art. Uh, does the stock art get put on the desktop at any point? No, man, you are nothing, nothing get, no, nothing goes. You are not messing around. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Okay. So I, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't use the desktop, even as just a working space. I do save like when I export, when I, I, the only, the only example I can think of is when I export, um, every Sunday I create the chapterized version of Mac power users. I get, I get the MP3, um, from Mark. I create the chapterized version, and right before I upload it to Libsyn, the chapterized version does go get exp- – I think by default it gets exported to my desktop, and then I upload it to Libsyn from the desktop. But then it goes away. Does that make you crazy? As, well, as soon as it finishes uploading the Libsyn, then I get rid of it. Yeah. I, I thought I was, like, strict about it. I, what I do is I use the desktop as working space all day. Um, when stuff comes in, it's just easy because when you're in the open uh, save dialog box, if you hit command D, it jumps to desktop. So uh, as I've got little bits and I'm all, you know, I'm making these videos, there's tons of like assets and things that go into it and putting it on the desktop makes it very easy to get to it. Um, so I, I do it all day, but I have a, in my shut, I have a shutdown routine, you know, like a, a checklist I do every evening. And one of the items on the checklist is desktop. 
and it it absolutely gets checked for me every day. I I look, anything that's on the desktop at the end of the day, I I put it wherever it belongs or I delete it. And when I go to bed, it's empty. And there's something about waking up and looking at your Mac and having a clean desktop. I think it I don't know it just sets me right to start the morning. I I I agree with that, which is why I don't even have to put that item on my to do list. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that you don't do anything there. I I I don't know. See, it's crazy to me that you have an item on your to-do list that says clean off my desktop every day. That's one more thing you have to do every day. Yeah, but during the course of the day, I save so much time by having this stuff on the desktop. I don't know, I, I have so much respect for you that you never use a desktop, but I'm also a little bit afraid of you. I'm not sure why. All right, let's see. <laughs> All right, but that's what Stacks does. Okay, Stacks. Stacks, so that's it, what Stacks if you're do. not partially insane like me or completely insane like Katie... Uh, and you've got stuff on your desktop. Just turn on the stacks feature, and it will it'll sort those into stacks for you. If you've got someone in your life, um, like my wife, who has literally, um, she has stacks. She's had the stacks feature actually on her Mac. Now that I think about it for years because she's put so much stuff on her desktop that the icons overlap each other now. That's horrible. You know what I mean? Because when they're they're on a grid, when you get to the end, it goes back to the beginning and starts putting it on top of it. So she's had stacks for a long time, but. But the uh, but if you want to help someone out like that, turn stacks on. I think I'm going to try it again, but I'm going to do it with her um, with her present with me. After we install this update on her computer, I'm going to say, let me show you the stacks feature. I'll report back on that. Or you could do it like right before you leave to go out of town. Yeah, I could do that. And then just come back to find divorce papers nailed to the front door. <laughs> there you go. And the lock's changed. <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fujitsu. You can learn more at budurl.me slash SSMPU. So I love the Fujitsu ScanSnap line of scanners. I've got one sitting right here on my desk that I'm looking at. It is the fastest way to take a stack of paper and digitize it. The Fujitsu iX500 is the scanner that I'm looking at. It has a 50-sheet document feeder. It will connect to your computer with USB 3.0 or wirelessly, and it will scan up to 25 pages per minute, either directly to your Mac or to your iOS device. It has an advanced paper feeding system, which means you're hardly ever going to get any jams or multi-feeds. And it will scan in a variety of ways. It comes with this amazing Fujitsu ScanSnap software, which is almost infinitely customizable. So you can set up different profiles for the way that you work. Maybe you want to batch scan so that you can scan a whole clump of stuff in at the same time. Maybe you want to scan individual documents at a time. Maybe you want to OCR documents. Maybe you want to scan as PDFs or JPEGs. Maybe you want to have a bunch of different profiles depending on the types of different scans that you do. Those are all infinitely customizable with the ScanSnap software. You can also scan to a variety of different cloud services, including Dropbox, Evernote, Google Docs, and ScanSnap's own cloud services that will help you automatically organize your documents. uh, Fujitsu also makes software to help you organize your business cards and your receipts. And if the iX500 is a little too much power for you, you can check out some of their other scanners, including the S3100, which is a little more portable and a little slower. We'll scan at 12 pages per minute. And it can be USB-powered for uh, uh, portability. Or the iX100, which is the ultimate portable scanner. It can scan a page in just 5.2 seconds and will fit in a glove box or a backpack. 
And if you need to scan just about anything, check out the SV600. It's great for books or magazines. If you need to get rid of paper or other documents in your life, Fujitsu's got a product for you. So head on over to budurl.me SSMPU and take a look at the whole entire land of the Fujitsu ScanSnap family. And when you decide to grab one, let them know that the folks over at Mac Power Users sent you. So, Candy, we didn't just get stacks. We got some other Finder improvements with uh, macOS Mojave. Um, one of them is the replacement of cover flow view. I, I always never really understood cover flow view in the Finder. Did you ever use that feature before? Not really. Cover flow was something that, that worked, I think, for a while in iTunes. And I think Steve Jobs liked it so much in iTunes that he decided to bring it to the Finder as well. But it's been replaced with something that I think is uh, makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I really uh, like which it. Which is gallery view. Yeah, it's it's much better. It, it gives you a set of thumbnails of the documents in a folder with a large size image of the uh, the currently selected image. And then on the right side of the screen, it gives you easily identifiable and adjustable metadata. Like uh, when I, I scan a whole bunch of stuff into my action folder all the time, and this new view has become my go-to place for going through that folder because I can just arrow key through each one, which is something you could have done with CoverFlow before, but it wasn't as convenient as it is now. You can uh, adjust the name so your Hazel rules can kick in. Um, you can apply flags, or I'm sorry, tags, not flags. And you can even do additional features. They've got a markup, you know, the that API that first showed up on iOS where you can like sign a document or do basic edits on a doc, on a PDF document or some automation. So it's uh, it's a much more power usery feature than it ever was before. Yeah, I think the ability to um, make quick actions, particularly, and to markup, Apple has pretty much put markup everywhere, but the ability to make quick actions, and you can do that whether you're in your gallery view or not, uh, is is huge. I mean, it's going to allow you to quickly rotate things or crop things without actually going all in and opening the app. And you can put your own in there. Like, um, you know, now, now that Apple is on this HEIC photo format, um, like I was I was moving images from my iPhone and iPad. I'm working on I'm finishing up the OmniFocus Field Guide. And I was sending all these images to my downloads folder. And they show up as HEIC, which when you drag that into ScreenFlow, has no idea what the heck that is. It, it can't process the image. So I made an automator script. It's real simple. It just takes an image. It saves it as a JPEG whatever you do. And I saved that as a service, an automator. And then when I was looking through this, uh, this view, that tool, auto, you know, magically appears as an available tool now in my, uh, in my finder. So I don't even have to, I can just scroll through and make all those, um, those adjustments right in the finder. It, it's really nice if you start doing automation stuff. Um, I, I think um, quick, quick actions, is that what they're formally called? Quick actions? using the right name for that yeah that's that's in the dialogue they call them quick actions yes i i think they're huge i think they're gonna save me a ton of time you you can do a lot of things you can crop you can mark something up you can rotate them you can create a pdf you can uh trim video uh you can even like you said create your own so they're uh, they can't be super complex, but they are super. They are customizable. I think that the quick actions combined with markup uh, is is going to Sherlock some simple apps. Um, I think Skitch is probably a prime example. You know, the, when you when you say create your own, I think the limit is a service based automator script. Is if you make a service based automator script, it's going to show up 
in whatever format you get. Like when you make a service, you have to give it like, what does this work on? Does it work on a PDF or does it work on an image? Uh, so the finder will just go ahead and attach that service to any file that matches the, the input format for the service. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm very happy with this. It's definitely, it was really weird to me. We talked about this after the keynote that they were talking about Automator. I mean, Sal's not even at the company anymore and they're talking about Automator in the keynote. And I'm not solely convinced that, you know, Automator is going to continue to get a lot of love and support, but the, um, but this is a good example of where you can use it. And that's the kind of automation that just about anybody can do. Just open up Automator and you, if you can do workflow or series shortcuts, you can do Automator. All right. So I like that view. I think that's good. Um, they also added uh, the ability to see your recently used apps in the dock. This is um, similar to what they did on the iPad. Was it in iOS 11? And this threw me, I, I'd forgotten about this. I don't know if it was mentioned in the keynote, but I had forgotten about this. And then the, uh, I keep a very minimalist dock. I only keep the active open items in the dock. So the first time, are you, are you picking up a, a pattern here, perhaps? No, I mean, I, I, I don't yeah. think any of us are surprised by that news, Katie. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so my dock typically has nothing in it other than, you know, the finder icon, the, the trash icon. And then all of a sudden I started seeing these things in the dock and I'm like, I thought I closed that program. No, still running. What's going on here? And then I realized, oh, I see what's going on here. Did you turn it off? So I quickly, I quickly learned that you could turn this off in system preferences dock. But if you would like, you can have your most recently used items. But that, that makes sense, right? There was a, um, for the longest time, there was a terminal command you could use. I think Brett and I included it in one of the 60 tips books where it can show you most recently used documents or recently used apps. Um, I don't think this is something new. I think they've just exposed it um, for easier for people to use non, you know, non-terminal geeks to turn it on. I, f- I feel like it's one, a feature that's been banging around inside Apple for a long time. Um, but since we've gone there, do you keep your doc exposed? No. Yeah, me either. And I keep it on the left. Yeah, me too. But the uh, I you know I don't even look at it. It's so rare that I even I forget the docs even there because I use you know uh, launch bar to launch apps and I I just don't I just don't think about the doc. I'm like once in a while I'll, I'll go there. Oh yeah, there's that doc thing. Uh, so I, I'm not going to use that feature much either. Uh, quick actions. We talked about quick actions. Um, kind of with other things. Uh, another feature we got is better screenshots. You know, you've been able to take screenshots on the Mac for a long time, but we now have the screenshot utility, which is um, uh, command shift five brings up the screenshot utility. So anytime you take a screenshot now, command shift three will take a screenshot just like it always did of, of your screen or both screens of your dual screens. Command shift four will take a screenshot, but allow you to select something. And, and just to add to that one, if you hit space bar, it'll automatically select the window that you're over. Correct. Um, it will pop up whatever you just took a screenshot of, kind of like in a little picture-in-picture mode, um, usually in the in the lower right corner of your screen, much like it will on iOS. So right now, if you take a screenshot on iOS, you'll get a little preview of that screenshot, and it'll disappear after a few seconds if you don't do anything with it. If you do something with it, uh, you hover over it, it will, it will open up, and you can mark it up. Um, you can also now, Command-Shift-5, bring up the screenshot utility which will give you a, a lot more options and it will clone the ability to take a, a full screenshot, to take a segment of a screenshot, 
um, or it will also give you the ability to take a video capture. And you can even specify things like I want to show the cursor, I want to start a timer, uh, and get a little pretty granular in there with what you want to do. I don't think that this is going to uh, replace things like ScreenFlow or, or full screencasting applications, but it's certainly a, a great tool if you want to show somebody something or document something or or send a bug report in for something like that. Have you used this much? Yeah, the um, a couple things. I, I wish that they would make it easier. They have the sharing button, which is great. But, I mean, one of the ways I often uh, move these files around when I'm in production mode is I just grab the icon in the uh, the title bar, you know, and you can move stuff around that way. That That's not available in this view. I wish it was. But but you're right. For basic annotations, it's it's great. And it, it, it's an interesting update. It, it feels to me like, are they scraping the bottom of the barrel that they're spending, that this is a major feature that, you know, it improves screenshots? I don't know. But, the, uh, but it is an improvement. And I didn't expect that any attention would be put on Mac OS screenshots in 2018. Well, it is. So... So what are they going to come up with for their next four-month sprint? I don't know. If, if they checked off the box for screenshots. I don't know. We'll see. But screenshots, check. Done. But it's nice. It's something that, that we needed, and, and I, I, think it's, I think it's done now. So, Well, you know, there's continuity camera, so there's another, another feature they can check the box on. Yeah, th- this is one of the only features we got that is iOS related. You know, for the last several years, a lot of the updates and I and I'm sure one of the reasons why Apple had to do yearly updates is because they were making massive changes in the way that the Mac and the iPhone and iPad communicate with each other. And you you know, continuity um between apps is a good example, you know, where you working on an email and then you go over to your Mac and you just click it in the dock and continue where you left off. But the um but this is a the I think to my knowledge the only app feature like that this year, and it, it allows you to take a picture with your phone and then use it automatically or instantly on you know the iWork suite on the Mac. If you put it into a slide on a keynote or a picture in a, a Pages document, it just shows up. It it basically kind of makes your iPhone like an extension of the face the FaceTime camera on your Mac. Is that kind of fair? I guess. It's another way to put it. Um, and then group FaceTime, which was heavily, heavily demoed in the keynote, um, ridiculously demoed in the keynote, is now coming in the phone. Yeah, we both of Katie and I, this is a podcaster feature, really, in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, Skype is so bad lately. Everybody has all these issues with it. Um, FaceTime has been generally more stable for me in one-on-one communications, but if they could make it work reliably for uh, multiple parties, I think it would be a great feature for podcasting. But also it would be nice to talk to your family and get more than one person on a FaceTime. Do you think this is, they tried to do too much and now they can't deliver? I mean, could we have really just started with multi-party audio and multi-party video? Because that is something that other apps have been able to tackle for a long time. I mean, iChat. I think had multi-party audio and multi-party video. Anybody remember iChat? Well, it was a thing. It was funny at the keynote they announced. I think they got, they said you get up to 32 people on one call. Nobody needs that. Yeah. I needed maybe how many five, you know, at the most. 
Um, I, I can't help but wonder whether, and, and now you've got these things where they, you can put your Animoji face on there and, and you can do all kinds of things. I, I would have much rather seen Apple just, just give me the ability to do group FaceTime with up to, you know, pick a nice round number of people, audio or video, and it, it comes to the phone and it comes to the Mac. And then if you want to expand into all of these other areas with, with Animoji faces and up to 32 people and things like that, then do that. But, but I feel like we really tried to bite off more than we could chew. Yeah. Well, I hope that they get it done. I, I'm sure this is complicated. And, but this is, to me, is more important than many of the features we've already talked about. I think it's more useful. I think for yeah, watching my kids, they all talk to each other FaceTime all the time. You know, it's very common, I think, for, um, for younger folk. That's a way they communicate more than older folk. And if they could have three or four people in the in the FaceTime room, I think they'd like it even more. So uh, this is a feature that's important, and I hope it you know it's not like the AirPlay where it just kind of lingers for a year or maybe disappears. I, I suspect this one will ship. They've they've already announced the beta for iOS twelve. Uh, twelve point one is out now, and I think that they are probably not going. I would guess that we're going to get a beta for Mojave, the first point one update, very shortly after it releases. Um, I would hope that that's the big thing with the point one release that they get this figured out for the multi-party FaceTime calls. Mm, I think it says fall, so it could be, I, I guess fall is soon, but we'll see. Yeah, usually that's the point one release though, isn't it? Oh, I guess maybe. point one is if there's a big, you know, showstopper, but then maybe a point two, but either way, hopefully not too far off. I'd like to take a minute to talk about our next sponsor. And that's our friends over at one password. One password is, uh, one of my favorite applications because the internet can be a scary place. There's lots of people out there fishing for your data, trying to figure out how to get your passwords and break into your websites, steal your money, steal your privacy, do a whole bunch of terrible things. You forget about it sometimes because a lot of us, we're all friends here, but there's some people out there that are really devious. I get emails like it every day and people are always trying to find out what's my password. And guess what? Even if they could get my password, it's not going to matter because they can't use it anywhere else. It's very easy when you don't have a password manager to start using the same password at all your websites. And then they get your password in one place and they're into your email, they're into your PayPal, they're into your iTunes. If you're listening to this show and you're using the same password in more than one place, I'm telling you that's bad. You need to change it. It's just I feel as strongly about that as Katie does about icons on her desktop. You just can't do that. You got to have multiple passwords. And 1Password is the application that helps you do that. It's made by a group of people that are obsessive about giving you safe and secure passwords and having a way to have your cake and eat it too. To, to use those big passwords, but at the same time have uh, convenience while you use the internet. And it just got more convenient. With the latest release of 1Password for iOS, they're taking advantage of this new feature that, that Apple put in iOS 12. It's application where you can go and fill a password in an application. You know, you have the password saved for your favorite websites, but what if you have an app that needs a password filled in? Well, Apple made it possible for third-party applications to provide the password and username for you. And uh, I, this is a personal experience. I was sitting behind the 1Password guys, a group of them, while we were watching the WWDC keynote. I wasn't in the big room. I was in the one of the... Um, one of the little party rooms and there were guys there and you could just see them when they saw the announcement that they could add this feature. They like sit up in their chairs. They're so ready for this. So 
uh, they did it and it came out with the release of iOS 12. So now if you've got one password and you've saved your passwords there, you go into your favorite app on your iPhone or iPad, you got to fill in your password. It's taken care of for you. That's just one thing that one password does. There's so much more. If you want to learn more, head over to onepassword.com. Let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. If you go to onepassword.com slash MPU with all caps, you get 20% off. You can't beat that. So go there, sign up for the service. If you're already subscribed, find somebody that you can convert to one password. This is something we need to be zealots about. We need to protect our friends from the internet. Uh, once again, thanks uh, one password for sponsoring the show. That's onepassword.com slash MPU for 20% off. So we got a couple of new apps with uh, Mac OS Mojave, which is, uh, it's been a while since we've gotten new apps on the Mac. And the, the funny thing here, the big reveal is that these are iOS apps that we got on the Mac. So what do we think about that? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit after WWDC, where Apple is putting in the system where you can take an iOS application and turn it into a native Mac app. Project Marzipan. Yeah, well, I don't think Apple's ever said that publicly, but that's, I guess, background what they've been calling it. But the um, you know the idea of this is there's this big influx of apps showing up on Mac OS that are like these web-based apps. Basically, you run the app and it opens a web you know a web browser that looks like an app that's running an app from the web. You know, Slack I believe uses that and some of the other services. Uh, so, so a lot of the Apple Mac fans have been saying, well, I don't want Apple to be, make it easy for people to just take an iOS app and turn it into a Mac app. Then they're not going to make custom Mac apps and the, the qual- overall quality of Mac apps will go down. But I, I would say, first of all, that's probably not as big of a worry as you think it is because the overall quality is going down anyway. If people are making web portal apps, these will be better than that. And if we can get more apps on the Mac, I think that's a good thing. What's your position on that, Katie? Mostly good. I, I think, yes, more apps on the Mac are a good thing. I think if it's easy for iOS developers to port their app over to the Mac, it will um, be better options for Mac owners. We'll have more apps on Mac owners. I just think we need to be careful to make sure that um, that we're getting quality apps over on the Mac because just because you can port your iOS app over to the Mac doesn't necessarily mean you should and doesn't necessarily mean that it will be a good port over to the Mac. And so I think it has to be carefully done. I don't want to just see an influx of bad apps over on the Mac just because you can. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And But I also think on the flip side of that, the, the big power apps, you know, Logic and OmniFocus and Microsoft Word, they're not going to just push the button and try and convert their apps to an iOS app from you know, from iOS. I just don't see that happening. So I think the apps where we do need special love and attention on the Mac, those will continue to stay for the foreseeable future. But anyway, so Apple has this program. They announced that they're doing it. Next year is going to be the year we'll be talking about that because that's when it's going to happen and we'll see how it all shakes out. But just kind of as a proof of concept, Apple took the news, the stocks, the home, and the voice memos app from iOS and put them on the Mac. Um, I can tell you, my favorite of those three is the home app. I love the home app on my Mac. Have you been using that? I think it's probably mine as well. Um, I will tell you just as an aside, I've had a lot of trouble recently with one of the more recent iOSs, uh, the beta and including in the, G- uh, the GM. And I don't know when this happened, but I'll tell you it's been in the last week. I've had a lot of trouble with some of my HomeKit devices, particularly my Hue lights dropping off. And I'm I'm hoping that will fix. I don't think it has anything to do with, with Mojave, but... Um, 
So yes, I've been using it, but not as much as I would like because a lot of my devices have not been working. Have you checked the firmware in your devices? I mean, have you opened the Hue app and checked to make sure there's not a firmware update? Yes, I have. Okay, well, I don't know. But I'll tell you, sitting at my Mac, because I spend most of my day behind this, this, this iMac, having the home app is great. Like, I'll be up here... And, you know, you get, uh, sometimes you get absorbed into your work and you don't realize it. And you look out the window and it's dark and you're like, oh, wait, suddenly it got dark outside and my wife is coming home and I haven't turned on the front door light for her. I just open up the home app, push a button and it turns on, you know, that's nice. A lot of times when I'm sitting at my Mac, I will reach for my phone to turn on something. Actually, more often I will do this with Siri. But I think it will be nice, particularly, you know, we had this whole episode about the ways that you can configure um, your your home kit. I think it will be very nice, particularly when you're setting up or when you're reconfiguring your, your home app to be able to reconfigure these things at your Mac as opposed to on an iOS device. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'll tell you the other one that I'm excited about is voice memos. I use voice memos a, a fair amount um, particularly when I'm practicing something or trying to memorize something or um, so I may record something on my phone, but then I may be sitting back at my Mac when I'm going to to type it out. If I, if I'm and and it's a, although you can be sitting there at your Mac with your phone sitting there right next to you and, and playing it. I think it's a lot easier to maybe just play it on your Mac. Yeah, I agree. And, and it uses iCloud as a backend. So that stuff synchronizes across the, um, on the home app, though, before we move off of that, as much as I like having the home app on my Mac, I wish they would just blow up the home app and redesign it from scratch. I just, I mean, we talked about this on a HomeKit show a while back, but the more I use it, the more I realize I just think this could be done better. But uh, then the stock app, I'm sure you spend a lot of time checking up on your stocks, right? Um, I actually do. Um, okay. But. <laughs> I mean, I have a few that I, I own and I, I keep tabs on. Um, I have a, uh, I'm a Schwab person, so I've got a, I've got the Schwab app on my phone when I want to keep, keep tabs on my portfolio. But if I just want to pop in and, and see what one particular stock is doing, then, then yeah, I check that out and, and see what it's going. But I've, I've, I don't, I don't necessarily use the, the stock app for that. I, a lot of times I'll just look and see what's, what's going on in the, in the notification center, but no, I, I know people like to laugh at that and, and think that that is funny, but you gotta, gotta be uh, taking, taking hold of your financial future and, and being aware of those things. So it's not, it's not funny. Be aware. My stock program is my daughter's university right now. I'm buying a lot of stock in that. The, um, the, uh, do you use the Apple news app? Uh, I'm using it more. Yes. I'm happy with the Apple news app. I, I think it's a good place. Uh, I like having a siloed location when I want to check the news and I have been for a year or two now, like uh, the, uh, when I go to bed, I'll read all of an Apple news and read on the iPad. Uh, I have noticed, yeah, I've tried it a few times on the Mac. I think it's a fine transition. I mean, they moved it over. It works fine with the mouse or the trackpad and it's a great place. I just don't read the news while sitting at my computer that much because I want, that's kind of my production time. I don't want news there. Um, I really don't like the the notifications, but you can turn those off uh, very quickly. But you know, it's if you like Apple News, it's now on your Mac. Um, I think I could use it on my Mac because sometimes I will sit there on the Mac and, and view it. But I think this is something that I'm primarily going to do on on my my iPad, maybe some degree on my phone. But yeah, I, I'm glad it's there, but probably won't use it as much. Maybe we're we've buried the lead, but 
the uh, the new Mac App Store is really nice. Yes, the new App Store is something to to talk about. It does have a new look. It's a nice look. I like the way that it's laid out. And the editorial content is nice, so I can't help but wondering um, whether this is where all the our MacWorld friends went. I've never, I don't have any confirmation. This Chris Breen, who's a guest on our show in the past, went to work for Apple. As did Serenity Caldwell recently. Yeah, I just feel like uh, this. I mean, just, sometimes you read stuff and I hear it in Chris Breen's voice. I don't know if it's. I'm. I'm sure he's not writing all of it, but I don't know. It feels like Chris to me, and um, so it's nice. The, it, it's a. Uh, it's a better experience. Some app developers that left the app store have gone back in. I don't think, I don't really have the whole story on what's going on with that. I understand sandboxing is changing, maybe getting better in some ways and getting worse in some ways. But um, Apple is is trying to make an effort to uh, make the app store better. I, you know, a few years ago, there was a big shakeup at Apple and the app store went from Eddie Q's part of the company to Phil Schiller's part of the company. And since then, we've seen a lot of improvements in the app stores. So maybe uh, maybe this is just one more sign of that. Yeah, I've, I've heard this go a couple of ways. Um, on one hand, we've seen people like Bare Bones and Panic. They were highlighted, actually, in the keynote as developers that were coming back to the Mac App Store. Um, we've heard that apps are now going to be able to ask for permission in certain cases to come out of their restricted sandboxes. And this should um, allow more apps to go back into the App Store. But we've also heard that some developers are not happy with certain restrictions that have specifically been put into Mojave. And um, I, I hesitate to talk too much about that because I will tell you candidly, I'm not very educated about that. And I think it's a moving target because I know everybody was was all up in arms about this Apple events thing. And then it seemed to change again in one of the later betas. And, and now maybe it's not as bad as it was um, just even a few weeks ago. So. I think the the jury is still out on that to some degree. I do think that the App Store is really nice when you're moving between devices just to go in there and download your apps. But I also note that over the years, I've got to where less and less will I buy a major app in the App Store, like ScreenFlow, Omni, Microsoft, all these people that I buy stuff from, I I deal with them directly. And I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, I, I still think, you know, Omni has, has found a good way to be able to kind of transition back and forth a little bit. Um, I, I, I think I think things are better. I think things are going better with the with the App Store. And I think um, I think it's improving. And I think this is a, another step along that direction. Apple has made a lot of efforts in the last couple of years to distinguish them as a company that respects user privacy and customer privacy. Uh, every release of Mac and iOS has some some features aimed at privacy protection, and this is no different this year. Um, Safari has a new feature called anti-fingerprinting. This is something I didn't even realize was going on, where um, the websites look at a multiple combination of factors, where you are, what sites you go to, and they can figure out who you are based on those characteristics Safari will help fight that now. I'm okay with that. It's it's funny. It's not funny at all. But what so the the lengths that these advertisers and that these data miners will do to figure out who you are and sell this data is is pretty crazy. I mean, so what websites were doing and what they were able to do is they were able to read certain information on your computer about 
things like what fonts you had installed and what extensions you had turned on and really build a profile about you about this is the general area where you were located. This is the type of browser you were using. These were the fonts you had installed. This was your screen resolution. You know, just these little settings that seem benign but when you were able to say this particular computer is configured in this particular way, you were able to say, huh, I think that's Katie's computer or I think that's David's computer. And and then use that information to to follow that computer across across the Web. It It's scary. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't realize the extent that they had gone to until we got this feature. But I'm glad it's there. And one more reason to use Safari, in my opinion. Yeah, a couple of other things that are going on um, related to this that I think you should be aware of. Uh, keep in mind with the move to the new Safari, some of your extensions may break. Um, I think your extensions now, um, you can't just install any old extension. They have to be particularly um, developed. And as a result, some of your old extensions may break. So particularly one that I was afraid to, uh, or sad to see go um, is Ghostery. My Ghostery extension no longer works, although I did get a pop-up right before I updated that said that Ghostery was working on a, a new version. So hopefully that will be out soon. And then my um, my Adblock extension no longer worked. I actually had to go get another one from the uh, that, that's now in the App Store. And I, I can't tell, but I don't, I don't think it's working as well. So... Um, we'll, we'll see how, how that ends up uh, shaking out. Um, my one password, my, um, my Grammarly and my, um, my Evernote, those, those all came over fine, but, um, a couple of my extensions didn't, didn't come over. I think there's some workarounds for that, but just keep in mind that your extensions may break. And then just while we're on the topic of Safari, this is not, um, not, uh, specifically security related, but, um, now your website, um, icon tabs. Um, you can get website icon in your Safari tabs now. So yeah, just that. go into the tab setting and preferences and click a box. Did you turn that on? Yeah, for now. That's fine. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, any additional visual indicator of what, what tab you want to look at, why not? Um, on the idea of these extensions. So I just want to talk about in general, the idea of extensions and security. I've always felt that that was kind of the back door into the Mac OS for some time now. Um, Safari extensions and mail extensions is another one. And I feel like with this release, Apple has really taken a lot of steps to lock those things down because I think they've always felt like they've had vulnerability there. If someone had a malicious uh, Safari extension or mail extension, and as a result, a lot of these apps right now are, are having to rebuild themselves to, to comply with the new system. Maybe some of them won't even survive. I don't know. The um, on mail, for instance, just on the topic, mail tags, which is uh, mail tags and mail act on, which are two of my favorite extensions. They're currently not working with Mojave. You have to wait. You, if you if you if that is a really important app for you, you should not upgrade. Uh, hopefully they'll get it working on the website. They said they're building something. But it's going to be a new purchase because I think they have to put a ton of work in it to to make it work. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens: is a uh, a lot of these things end up end up not working as as well as they were once before. So, but but I overall am in favor of that. I, I think that they do need to lock this stuff down. I, I'm I do want my stuff secure more than I want, um, you know, mail act on. A couple of other changes that we're seeing: um, Apple is now requiring apps to get your permission before accessing things like your microphone, your camera, your mail database, your message history. I'm I'm good. Those are all good things. Um, so I'm excited to see see those happening. 
Um, we're also seeing things like better password integration. Uh, integration and generation in Safari. So Safari has always had this, or for the last several versions, has had this iCloud keychain. And so now it does more. Um, it is not on the same level as a true password manager, but it will automatically generate, store, and autofill strong passwords for you. And will take another step, like it will flag reused passwords for you. So, um, it, you know, if you don't have a full-fledged password manager, Safari will definitely help you take steps in that direction. And I certainly recommend if you're not using one that you start looking at doing something. Apple has always um, had this challenge with Mac apps that it's kind of, it's just always been uh, wild west in terms of apps. Anybody can make apps for the Mac and distribute it from wherever they want. And uh, whereas on iOS, Apple has always been the gatekeeper on the apps. And there's a lot of reasons why having wild west is good for the Mac. It allows people to iterate what allows people to do what they want without Apple. But as security has become increasingly a, a concern, they've struggled with ways to figure this out. I mean, the Mac App Store, in, in some ways, was a attempt to lock down the platform and control the apps that got distributed. This year, they added a feature called Notarizing Apps. And um, it's a way for Apple to digitally notarize or mark an app that's been signed by a registered developer. Um I think this is, it appears to me to be, this is like almost a different approach from the sandbox. It's like trying to pull this problem out of the sandbox. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's, it's a different, you know, they had gatekeeper before and now we have notar. I think we still have gatekeeper, but now we have notarized apps. So it kind of solves a different problem. Yeah. If you want to release an app outside the Mac app store, you can get it notarized. So what notarization does is instead of it being, um, for a particular app or for a particular developer, you can notarize a specific version of a specific app. So this is both good and and bad. Um, what it will allow you to do is, let's say you're you're not releasing your Mac your app through the Mac App Store, um, but you are a registered developer and and you do want to to let Apple and to let your users know that that hey I've I've done some stuff and that this app is cool. You can send your app a version by version, so you have to do it with every version, which can, the downside is it can cause slowdowns, um, to Apple. It, the app gets uploaded to Apple's servers. Apple is not doing like a full like app review check of it, but they are doing a basic malware scan. Now, how basic, how thorough, I, I don't know. I'm sure something will get through at some point. But they're basically doing a malware scan on it. And if it comes back clean, they're saying, okay, this is a good app. We're we're going to, we're going to, give our stamp of approval, or we're going to notarize this app for you. And so that version of that app gets notarized. It comes back. Okay. It gets a, um, it, it gets embedded in it, this, this certification or this notarization from Apple and the, Apple's not hosting it or doing anything like that, but it, it gets this okay embedded in it. And then when the end user downloads that version of the app, the, the system looks for that notarization and knows that that version of the app is okay. Now, when the developer then releases another update to that app, a 0.1 update or a 0.2 update, they have to go through that notarization software again, or that uh, process again. So the, the good news of this is if you have um, a version of your software that ends up getting hijacked, and that's happened before to some developers, um, then it, it can stop a one-off bad update from getting out there to the public. The 
as opposed to them just shutting down your entire developer account or or your entire app because it's no longer broad to your whole app. It can now be much more granular as to this specific version is okay, this specific version is not. The the downside is is it adds more time. Yeah, and what Katie means by hijacked is um, there are developers that have released applications. They're developers we know and love and trust, and you go to their website, xyz.com. So you're going to the developer's website, but what happened was at some point the developer got hacked, and somebody made a version of their app that does generally what their app does, but also does a bunch of terrible stuff and steals your data. And the developer doesn't even realizing that their website is distributing a false copy of their app that, that, that's malicious. And this solves that problem. I, I think it's good. I mean, like, I, I feel like in general, I'm in favor of all the privacy and security stuff. I mean, it, I don't want you to make the platform unusable, but to the extent you can make it more secure without completely ruining the experience, I, I'm generally in favor of it. I, I think it's generally a good thing, but it, it can be it can be problematic too. Yeah, and the other thing is that's a it's a pretty rare occurrence and how much you know, how much of a pain in the neck is this gonna be? And I I understand there's balancing forces here, but but I I like the fact that Apple is thinking about these holes in their system and trying to plug them as best as possible. Um some other tidbits you had you had some written down that you, you wanted to talk about? Yeah, a few tidbits that were um, uh, uh, too much to, to go anywhere else. Um, APS, APFS format, which was supposed to be supported with Fusion Drives from the get-go, um, now supports Fusion Drives, so finally. Um, Siri has improvements, including the ability to control HomeKit devices, find my iPhone, so you can now do more with Siri than you could before. Uh, if you have a 32-bit app, you are on borrowed time. In fact, if you try to launch a 32-bit app, you'll get a warning when you launch that app that says it won't work with future versions of the OS. So Apple is kind of trying to shame developers into uh, converting their apps over to 64-bit apps. Uh, Apple has removed Twitter and Facebook logins from system preferences, so I guess they just aren't comfortable with that anymore. Uh, Mail now has got emoji support, so yay. Um, <laughs> so convincing. Yeah. So convincing. And back to my Mac has, um, been removed. Um, it no longer is, is part of the operating system. I would tell anybody who's looking for an alternative. Um, I use screens, so that might be something to consider looking at. We've got a little bit more to talk about, uh, in terms of, you know, where we think the, the Mac is going. Uh, but before we go there, I want to take a quick break and talk about our last sponsor of this episode, and that is SaneBox. You can learn more by heading over to SaneBox.com MPU and receive a $25 credit off any plan. So I've been skeptical about services that include a monthly subscription, um, but I will tell you that SaneBox was one that took me almost no time at all to fall in love with. In fact, I think it took me two days, and I promptly then bought a two-year subscription to SaneBox. In fact, a large percentage of Mac Power users have tried SaneBox, have ended up subscribing, so there's a pretty good chance that you'll end up loving too. SaneBox learns what email is important to you, and it filters out email that isn't, saving you hours. It works with all different kinds of emails, programs, and services, so you don't have to change what you're already doing. One of the things that we've seen lately is all of these great email apps and services that have this feature or that feature that we love, well, they're just not sustainable. They end up going away, and then with that, the services and features that you love go away. 
SaneBox, you don't have to worry about that. It will work with whatever email program you're using right now and with whatever email service you're using right now as well. It gives you a couple of things. First off is great email filtering. It will help you keep in your inbox what really matters and filter everything else until a Sane Later folder. And then once you get the hang of that, you can start doing more advanced things with SaneBox, like the snooze features, which will help you defer emails until you really have time to deal with them. Maybe that's the next business day, maybe that's a weekend, maybe it's until you're back from vacation, or whatever schedule fits you best, so you only have in your inbox the emails that you can do something with right now. Also, check out Sane Reminders. This took me a while to actually figure out how useful it was, and now that I start using them, I can't stop. So if you send someone an email, but you know you need to follow up, but just not right away, make sure that you BCC like one week at SaneBox.com. And if your receiver doesn't reply, you'll get a reminder in one week to follow up. That way you are always on top of it. And these are infinitely customizable. You can pick like April 15th at SaneBox.com and SaneBox never forgets. You can also do much more with SaneBox, like you can filter your attachments, you can add them to Dropbox or another cloud service, you can give your executive assistant access to your SaneBox. The, the possibilities are virtually endless, and they've got a variety of pricing and plans that start as just as low as $4 a month. But you can try it all before you buy by heading over to SaneBox.com MPU. You can sign up for a 14-day free trial to figure out how SaneBox will work best for you. And when you decide to buy, which I'm confident you will, you can save $25 on any plan. So again, SaneBox.com MPU. And thanks to SaneBox for the continued support of Mac Power users. So Katie, uh, are you going to run out and upgrade everybody you know on Mac OS Mojave? Nope. So what's the reason for that? Are you are, do you feel like it's unstable or I will tell you I still have not upgraded people to um High Sierra. A couple of couple of reasons for that. Uh, the one reason in it's not a good one is that there are apps that will lose compatibility. There are apps that lost compatibility with High Sierra, there are apps that will lose compatibility with Mojave. And so I think you need to be very aware of what apps and services you use and what are going to work and you need to have a plan to replace those. And not upgrading because your apps don't work is not a good long-term solution. I want I want to be very clear about that um, because one day your time will come when you will have no choice but to upgrade. So if you're not upgrading because a particular app or service that you use doesn't work with Mojave today, fine. But if you're not upgrading a year from now because your particular app or service doesn't work with Mojave, then you you may need to to find another plan B and, and figure out why that app or service isn't working or or whether you just need to bite the bullet and, and upgrade something because um you, you can't continue to stay on on legacy hardware and legacy software forever. So so that is one thing, but do I think that you necessarily need to be on the bleeding edge with a, a Mac software update? Probably not, um, particularly if you use your Mac to make money or um, it's mission critical to what you do. I, I think you need to be pretty sure of, of what you're getting into and making sure that um, everything works for it. I, I would consider upgrading a secondary Mac first if you have one and seeing how it works for you. Um, Mojave is great. It's a nice upgrade. It may have, have fixed up some of my what were possibly hardware issues but could have been software issues with my MacBook Pro. And if so, that would make it well worth it for me, but I'm not convinced of that yet. So I'm going to be cautiously optimistic because I'll tell you, I had a really hard time with High Sierra after the, the first round of upgrades. So I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the one who runs and jumps and upgrades my family into this and then is responsible for the consequences. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to upgrade them, but I, I, I don't do it on day one. Uh, the, the, the most, if you want to be conservative about this, I guess the most conservative is, is like, hey, you just don't install it. But the, um, but the point one update is usually a good place to start if you want to be extra careful. Um, of course, I'm going to, you know, if your apps don't work with the new operating system, then you shouldn't upgrade. That's I talked earlier about the the mail tag stuff. If you run your whole mail system with mail tags, then you should wait. You should not upgrade. Um, the uh, wait until they get it fixed and then upgrade. But the uh, so for my family, what I'm going to do is I'll wait. I'm not even going to wait for the point one for them, but I will definitely wait for the first couple of weeks after release to make sure there's no kind of showstopper problem. I've been running Mojave for longer than I'm comfortable telling Katie on my machine. And it's, it's been fine. I, I don't think this is a massive change, but the, the flip side is you don't get a massive amount of different stuff out of it either. Uh, to me, I think the, the security stuff is really nice and I want to keep everybody up to date on the security stuff. But for a lot of people, dark mode, they, they're not interested in it. And um, a lot of the features we've talked about here, like, like photos got some really cool updates in iOS, you know, the new photos app, on iPad and iPhone. I mean, I ran out of time to talk about it last week, but there's just a lot of nice stuff in photos now. Um, there's no such thing upgrade for photos in Mac OS. I mean, there, there's not a lot of reasons to want to run out and install it, but I do think staying up to date with the most recent operating system is probably wise. Just make sure that it's not going to break any of your apps and give them you know, a few weeks after it comes out to make sure there's no big problems. Yeah, no, I think that's reasonable. I, I think we've always taken the standpoint of, of be cautious. I, I just don't know that there's anything earth shattering in Mojave that, that you need to run out and be the first one on day one to upgrade to it. I mean, if they had Siri shortcuts in Mojave, I would be like all over it. Because, in fact, let's talk about things that we want. And for me, one of the things I want out of Mac, it, there, it seems to me that the reason I put this in the outline is I feel like there's this general consensus that the Mac has kind of reached its peak and now all they're doing is making small changes like fixing the screenshotting. And to me, I feel like that's a lack of vision. I feel like that they should be thinking about the Mac the same way they make it think about Mac uh, iOS, where, you know, what if we turn the Apple card upside down every two or three years? And what could we do to make this way better? And um, while the Mac has better automation in a lot of ways than iOS, it has worse automation, too, with Siri shortcuts. Why isn't that across both platforms? Um, I would like to see them get better with the automation, make it more user-friendly. I mean, Automator is amazing. I mean, we've had Sal on the show, and I know he's the one that made that happen, but they just didn't put the gas down hard enough on it. You, there's things I can do with Siri shortcuts that I can't do with Automator. They should be, they should have an equal footing, you know. Um, I feel like that the whole idea of managing applications on Mac OS is kind of broken still. I mean, this old idea of overlapping windows is no fun. It should be like on iOS where you can very quickly sort and manage through your, your windows. And like Mac, the uh, Mac OS has this thing now where you can have split screen for apps, but it's super fiddly to get it there and to change the app doesn't work. And if you want to take one out of split screen, it takes the other one out of split screen too. It's just, I feel like it, those are half-baked features that if they said, let's just go back to the drawing board and rethink about how we display applications on Mac OS, they could give us a better experience. Um, another thing I'd like to see get better is just make it less fiddly. I mean, I had a problem on my Mac the other day that turned out to be a corrupt font file. You know, it's just like one of these weird things, but it took me an hour to get to that. 
And I was thinking as I was dealing with that problem, it's like, this is something that never happens on iOS. And, and you think, well, of course it wouldn't happen on iOS. That's a closed system. That's, you just don't have those kinds of problems there. But why, why can't we not have those problems on the Mac too? I mean, is there a way, if you put enough money and effort into the Mac OS, could it be just as solid and still give us the flexibility? I don't think that's an impossible request. No, I, I think that's I think that's a very reasonable request. There's there's definitely places that the Mac could go that it it doesn't need you know, that it's not a problem to go. Uh, things that I would like to see get better is I would like to see more productivity features get better in the Mac. Um, because for most people, they still use their Mac to get more work done. I think one of the most lowest of hanging fruits for the Mac is the mail application. It, it's gotten a little bit better. It's gotten progressively better. They've, they've added other things here and there. We got emoji support in Mac because that is so important for people who are conducting business on the Mac. But we don't have some of the other features that are important in Mac um, for for mail, I mean, does do people at the app, Apple really use um, Apple Mail for full business fledged email? Um, we we don't have things like um, being able to delay send um, messages in an Apple Mail. We d- we don't have built in features for being able to securely sign and to securely send email. You, all of these things are possible, but you have to go to outside parties and and outside services to be able to do it. Um, I, I think mail still lacks a lot for functionality in an organization. Um, I, I think mail could could really do from maybe a rethink in in the way that it's organized and the way that it would be easier to to organize mail. It it seems like mail it, you know works on the phone, it works on the iPad, and yeah, let's just take that and and put it on the Mac too because because that works. I think Apple has focused on making mail pretty, but I don't know that it's particularly any more functional than it necessarily has been in years. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, um, that's why at least once a year I get on this, you know, I get on this kick to find a replacement and I try all these applications and a lot of times they have better, sexier features and they are more productive, but they're just not stable enough for me. I have yet to find one that I feel like is stable enough to use every day. I always end up back at Apple mail, but I'm not happy there. You know, it's, like, why doesn't it have a built-in defer function? And why doesn't it have a sharing button? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to get off on a rant here. Let's not finish the show on a rant. Uh, so uh, I do think that this is a nice update. Uh, I wish that it was a, uh, they, these were a little less frequent and a little more substantive. Uh, but, uh, you know, dealing with the cards we've been dealt, uh, I think Mac OS Mojave is a nice improvement. And I would go ahead and, and install it right after the uh, initial launch. Um, and I, uh, let us know what you think. If we missed a major feature, we're doing an MPUS, uh, MPU plus episode next week. If there's something in it that we missed that really makes a difference for you, just weigh in there in a talk.macpowers.com. We'll make sure to get it in the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about Mojave. Like I said, I've, I've obviously already installed the beta on, on my, my MacBook pro. It, it may have helped some of my issues. Um, it's, it's, that's fine. Uh, you, you know, as, as, we were, as, we were, as I was just uh, summing up there, I was thinking about when Mac OS Tiger came out. It was at 10.4, I think. Yes. And uh, my family, we all went out to dinner together. We went to like Cheesecake Factory. And then we went and we got our T-shirts for Tiger and went home. And I, It's just not like that anymore. <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, I went with a group of people to... Um, 
to a mall to go get Mac OS Tiger. And I think we, we too ate at the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, maybe it was the same one. I don't think it was, but no, but you know, it was a thing that we did. Well, anyway. But I mean, and you got, you got a t-shirt, you got your box software, you went out to dinner and then you stayed up till 2am installing the new operating system. So. And, and Apple at the time they had, it was a complete honor system. It was like $30 more to buy the family pack. And, uh, and I always did buy the family pack cause it was for a family and I don't know, it was just kind of an event. And, but, but back then there was a lot more to change, I guess. <laughs> Those were the days. Now, now you just, now you just click the button. But we, you know, what we didn't tell people it's very important. Make your backups before you upgrade. Yeah, this year we didn't do the whole backup routine. But we didn't. Well, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Make a backup. If you have a spare hard drive, you know, we talk about the shelf backup or the drawer backup. Pl- plug it in. Make it. Make sure your cloud backup's working. I, I did that. I, I made my shelf backup or my drawer backup. I, I, I keep it in a drawer. Let's call it the drawer backup. Plugged in my external hard drive, made my backup, stuck it in a drawer. I still haven't overwritten that backup yet. And and I think at this point, I, I don't do a clean install. I just I just go right over now. But the real question is, do you still have your Tiger backup? Do you have your Tiger shelf backup? I don't. Oh, man. I don't have my Tiger backup anymore. Katie, Katie, what are we going to do with you? All right. Uh, thanks, gang, uh, for listening to the Mac Power Users. You can find us at ridley.fm slash MPU. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. We have a great forum with many wonderful people. It's a nice, safe place on the internet to talk about geeky Mac stuff and other Apple stuff at talk.macpowerusers.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Molecule, Fujitsu, 1Password, and SaneBox. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>